Thank you for listening to this sermon from Hope Church, Toronto West. It is our prayer that through these audio sermons, you are challenged and transformed by the Word of God, built up in love and faith, and drawn more to the person and work of Jesus Christ. Now as you prepare your heart to receive God's Word, we pray that His Spirit would use the sermon powerfully in your life. All right, loved ones, I want to invite you to take your Bibles right away and go with me to Romans chapter 16. Romans chapter 16 is where we're going to be today, unpacking verses 17 to 23, continuing in our series, Chaos and Christianity, Expositions through the book of Romans, chapter 12 to 16. If you don't have a Bible, you can put up your hand, and one of our ushers would love, love, love to put a copy of God's Word into your hand. And if you don't own a Bible, that Bible will be our gift to you. We'd love you to take it home and read it and have your life changed by the Word of God. In this church, we want everyone's eyes on a copy of God's word. We're coming to the very end of the book of Romans, hard to believe, with just two more uh, sermons. We started back in January with the idea of tackling some really significant truth that Romans 12 to 16 had for us, preparing our hearts in Romans 12 to tackle some important pertinent issues in Romans 13 and 14 and 15. And here we come to Romans 16. Did you enjoy the message from Pastor Andrew last week? That was fun. Did you enjoy that? I enjoyed that. Never going to look at a greeting passage the same again. Thank you. Love it. And so today we come to the second last uh, message in the book of Romans. And so the title of this morning's message is uh, appropriately a final words. Final words, and then next week we unpack a powerful conclusion as we unpack a powerful doxology in verses 25 to 27. But for now, final words of the Apostle Paul writing these to the church at Rome. Let's look at it together. Romans chapter 16, starting from verse 17. Listen to what Paul says. He says, I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. For your obedience is known to all, so that I rejoice over you. But I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent to what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Verse 21, Timothy, my fellow worker, greets you. So do Lucius and Jason. Did you know Jason was in the Bible? And Sosipater, my kinsman, I, Tertius, who wrote this letter, greet you in the Lord. Gaius, who is host to me and to the whole church, greets you. Erastus, the city treasurer, and our brother, Quartus, greet you. All right, before the Apostle Paul jumps into a powerful doxology to end the letter, I can't wait to get there. And next week, he has some final words. And I want to point out to you at least three things from these final words, three truths that I want us to see that I pray will protect our church, protect our families, protect individuals here, and also 
strengthen us for all that's ahead in the Lord Jesus Christ. Because did you know God is always working and there is so much ahead for us. So if you have a pen and notepad, sermon note card, write this down. Final words, here's where we're gonna start. In our passage today, there is a warning and here's the warning. Uh, false teachers are dangerous. False teachers are dangerous. I want you to notice in verse 17, look at your Bibles. Paul says, I appeal to you brothers to watch out. Let's stop right here for a moment. After a very affectionate section filled with personal greetings, the apostle Paul takes a sudden turn to extend a firm warning to the beloved church at Rome. Once you notice the verse 17 begins with, I appeal to you, brothers, just like back in verse 30 of chapter 15 and elsewhere in the letter, when Paul strongly appealed for the church to join him in prayer, he's appealing again, but this time he's appealing for the church at Rome to be watchful and to be on the lookout for a very real danger that's always lurking around the church of Jesus Christ in every generation it's the destructive and often underestimated impact of false teaching. That's what he's referring to here. Now, it's important for us to note that in the immediate context of Romans, we don't have enough information to know exactly who these false teachers were in this context. It's likely the false teaching hadn't infiltrated the church at Rome yet because this is the first mention of it in Paul's letter. So Paul's probably giving this warning because of the prevalence and the inevitability of the rise of false teachers. They're in every generation since the inception of the church. And he wants the church at Rome and he wants our church in Toronto to be vigilant and to be ready. I want you to notice it again in verse 17. He says, I appeal to you, brothers. That word appeal is a strong urging. It can be rendered, I implore you, brothers. Some really important things that I'm pleading with you on, Paul says. What is he appealing for? To watch out for those, notice this, who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them, Paul says. What Paul is doing here essentially is giving a description of what the church needs to be on the lookout for. And so this is very helpful for us in our day, in our context, in our time. What do we need to be paying attention to? Well, Paul says, watch out for those who, notice it, cause divisions. Now, this reiterates and highlights at least two very important things that Paul has already addressed in some way throughout his letter. First, it highlights the fundamental priority of the church's unity. That's why he appeals rather urgently for the church to watch out, for the church to be on the lookout, for the church to be aware, for the church never to fall asleep because there are those who will come who will try to cause divisions. And the Apostle Paul is highlighting in this exhortation to watch out the priority of the unity and the purity of the church. It must be protected. It must be guarded. And that's what he's already addressed in some way in chapter 14 and 15. He's going to great lengths to see to it that the church understands the unity of the church must be protected at all Costs, so they got to watch out. They got to be protected. 
But secondly, this highlights something of the method of false teachers. That the reason why the church must be on the lookout is because false teachers do most of their damage not from outside the church, but from within the church. In order for them to cause divisions, they need to somehow be actively engaged among the people. Their teaching needs to somehow gain a hearing and a following within the church. Their teaching needs to make its way among the people of the church, leading to sharp division and polarization. And so Paul warns that these false teachers, you need to pay attention because they're not somewhere out there. They rise up from within you. Did you know that? That false teaching that causes divisions, false teaching that creates hindrances and stumbling blocks and obstacles, it, it doesn't primarily come from the outside. It comes from within. But we need to be paying particular attention because of the day that we're living in, a day much different than the day that Paul was writing in, where Paul's false teaching not only festers from within, but it is easily accessible from without. It's accelerated, certainly, with the rise and centrality of the internet social media, and most recently, this thing called the metaverse. False teaching is everywhere. And so Paul's warning the church at Rome, be careful among you. There's going to be people that rise up within you that want to cause divisions and create obstacles that are contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. But let me add this exhortation. Uh, it's not that far. If it's not in here, it's just at the click of a button on your smartphone. And we're living in days where many Christians have insisted on staying home alone, surfing the internet, visiting, notice I'm quoting, visiting church after church online and essentially allowing themselves in many cases to be taught and formed without the protection, the accountability, and the personal leadership of local physically embodied shepherds and pastors. So not only are we in danger, like the church at Rome was, of false teaching rising within, that's why we need to pay attention, but we need to pay attention because all day long, you're scrolling through your social media feeds, and you're seeing things that maybe look good, that maybe sound good, but could be putting you in grave danger. Watch out. Watch out. Paul says that we all need to be on the lookout for those who cause divisions. But he says something else to describe the activity and the nature and the effect of false teachers. I want you to notice it again in verse 17. Look at your Bibles. In verse 17, he writes, I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and, watch this, create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Other translations say that they create uh, stumbling blocks that's a word that Paul uses to refer to uh, spiritual problems that lead to damnation. That's what the obstacle is. 
It's a spiritual problem. That's what the stumbling block is. These false teachers come in and they place stumbling blocks. They place hindrances before you that cause serious spiritual problems that lead to damnation. How serious is this? Wow. It's very, very serious. Earlier in Romans 14, Paul warned us not to place any stumbling block before one another. Don't create spiritual problems for each other, such as causing one another to sin against our own conscience. That was Romans 14. Here, he warns of an even greater threat to the church, a stumbling block, a hindrance, an obstacle that is put in place by false teaching that will lead to severe spiritual problems ultimately leading to eternal damnation. That's what false teaching does. It leads people to hell because it twists and it perverts and it blocks the true gospel such that people cannot come to know Jesus because they're presented with, they're captivated by a false gospel. And there's false teaching that runs rampant all over the world. Many, many forms of false teaching. For example, just one example, a prevalent false teaching that has infiltrated the church all over the world and that continues to keep poking its way into the thinking of individuals and even small groups of people, even within our church, is the false teaching of this so-called a prosperity gospel. I say so-called because it is not the gospel. This is essentially the teaching that God wants every single one of his children to be completely healthy all the time, totally wealthy all the time, and abundantly prosperous in this life. Now, you're sitting here and you're saying, what's wrong with that? This sounds like an uplifting message, doesn't it? Maybe you're sitting here and maybe you've thought, why are the pastors at Hope Church so hard on these teachings? Why are the pastors at Hope Church always warning us about certain teachers and ministries and books that appear among us from time to time? I'll tell you why. Because these teachings lead people to hell. That's how serious it gets because these teachings are not found in the Bible. Because these teachings are designed to deceive the naive and the broken and the sick. Because these teachings appeal directly to unregenerate flesh. Because these teachings relegate the God of the universe to the sidelines of life and place created man at the center. Because these teachings whisper to us what the serpent whispered to Eve in the garden at the very beginning. You can be God. You are at the center. Your comfort is most important. You are the authority. You can command. You can ordain your destiny. You can summon power from within yourself. You can have all you've ever wanted in this life. And of course, people say, really? I can have all I ever wanted. 
I've been struggling with poverty for a long time. I can be rich. I have this sickness. I can be healthy. It sounds good. But it is so dangerous. Why? Why is this so dangerous? It's so dangerous because, as I said, it's nowhere in the Bible. It feeds a completely unbiblical worldview and view of God. It's laced in spiritual language. That's why it's dangerous. It's supplemented with the name of Jesus. That's why it's dangerous. It's supported by verses of scripture that the biblically illiterate cannot even discern are so egregiously being taken out of context and not simply incorrectly interpreted, even worse, intentionally twisted. And it leads people into a false sense of security and locks them into a belief system that is not the gospel that cannot save them, that hinders them in devastating ways. This is just one example of a teaching that sounds so good. And we can say a lot about this teaching, and we can talk about the spectrum of this teaching, from mild to Absolutely overt. Beloved ones, I just want to say this. As one of the pastors here at Hope Church, we care about you so much. We take our responsibility as shepherds to teach what accords with sound doctrine and to refute false teaching very seriously. There's a reason why at the beginning of every message we say, if you don't have a Bible, put up your hand. If you don't own one, take that Bible home. It'll be our gift to you. Why? Why do we say that? Because you have to have your eyes on God's word whenever someone stands in this pulpit and claims to speak for God. Because you have to know that the person is speaking for God. And the only way you can know is if they keep telling you, look at verse 17. Look at verse 18. Look at verse 19. Look at verse 20. Look at this word. Look at that word. Look at what it means in the original context. Look at what it means for us today. And so, with humility, we have and are very committed to teaching you the word of God, to helping you read it and understand it for yourself. We're actively and constantly gathering solid, life-giving, biblically sound resources to help you in every phase or walk of life you find yourself in and making these things available to you. So visit our church website, hopechurchtw.ca, and go to the resources tab, and there you will find a detailed list of carefully curated content that can help you wherever you may find yourself with certain questions you may have in your walk because this is serious. Notice verse 17 again. I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Watch this now. Uh, Paul says, avoid them. Avoid them. Avoid them. Other translations say, turn away from them. In other words, don't keep listening 
Don't stick around thinking I'll just take the good and, and leave the bad. No, Paul says, avoid them. Turn away from them. Heard from so many as they embrace some teaching. I just take the good and I ignore the bad. What does Paul say to do? Does Paul say take the good and avoid the bad? Paul says, avoid them. Turn away from them. Turn away from false teaching. Why? Why? Look at verse 18. He says, for such persons do not serve the Lord Christ of their own appetites. Watch this. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. Why avoid them? Because they're not servants of Christ, Paul says. But they exist and teach for their own gain. So Paul says, and in doing so, the longer you stick around, the greater the probability will be of you being taken captive and deceived by their teaching. Because, as Paul says, they are very smooth. They're very convincing. They're very flattering. They make you feel good. They appeal to your flesh. You sit there now, you say, but how do I know? How do I know? You hold the Bible in your hand and you seek to look at what this means. You don't just sit there in front of the TV and I think there's something off here. I'm not sure. Bible's nowhere to be found. You have your Bible in your hand. You surround yourself with the accountability of a local, physically embodied church. You talk with local shepherds. Avoid them. Did you see it right in the text? Because by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. Think about that for a moment. Hundreds and thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people all around the world in the most poverty-stricken nations of the world have been taken captive by the false doctrine of the prosperity gospel, for example. Why does that poor elderly woman keep sending money to that late-night televangelist in exchange for some bottle of water that he claims is miraculous or that handkerchief that he claims has power? Why does that poor old woman do that? Or why does that precious man in a wheelchair keep putting his family in jeopardy by depleting his savings, believing it will be rewarded with some healing if he would just give a certain amount of specified money to that evangelist? Why? Because by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. And I found that a Evangelist could be saying almost anything on the screen. But if he can appeal to your deep need, if he can make you believe in your most vulnerable state that what he has, you need, if he can flatter you apart from the true gospel, apart from the word of God, apart from a biblical theology of healing, if he can flatter you, he can get you to keep sending him your money regardless of how ridiculous his claims are. By smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. Notice verse 19. Very interesting and helpful for us. 
God is protecting us, loved ones. God is protecting us through this message. Paul goes on. He says, for your obedience is known to all, so that I rejoice over you. But I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent to what is evil. What's he saying? He's saying, essentially, you have a a reputation, church at Rome. Everywhere when people talk about you, church at Rome, they say this is an obedient church. Everywhere where people talk about you, they say this is a people that respond humbly and sincerely to the word of God and what they are taught. And Paul says, that's good. I want you to notice in verse 19 again, he says, for your obedience is known to all. Watch out for false teachers because everyone knows you obey what you're taught. And he says, that's, that's good though. He says, so that I rejoice over you, but, 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 he says, I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent to what is evil. What do we learn from this? There's a lot. There's a lot. We learn that Paul is not promoting a kind of suspicion towards all teaching and teachers. You can walk away from all that I've just said, and you can be very suspicious and mistrusting of all teachers. That's not what Paul's promoting here. He says to the church at Rome, your reputation is that you humbly receive the word of God. You believe what you are taught. And he says, I rejoice about that. That is good. Keep doing that. Don't start mistrusting everybody. It's not what he's teaching. No. He's not promoting a mistrust or a constant folding of the arms, waiting for your pastors to say something wrong. No, he's saying, keep responding to the preached word. Keep obeying the preached word. Keep being thankful for the preached word. But but he's saying, be wise and be careful. When you hear something new, let me just interject here for a moment. I like to say in my sermon preparation, if I have written something down and it is new, No one from the history books has said what I have come up with in my my reading of the scriptures, then that's not a good sign. I'm not trying to be new. Preachers shouldn't try to be new. Beware of these preachers that say, I have a new revelation. I have something new. I'm not trying to be new. Any faithful preacher should not seek to be new. They should seek to be faithful to what has already been said for ancient years, in ancient years past. You say it over and over and over again and stir one another up by way of reminding and reminding and reminding not which is new, but that which is ancient and old. Be careful when you hear something new, when you hear something that's not rooted firmly in the scriptures or when you hear something that the preacher isn't urging you to see and understand from a passage of scripture, Paul is saying, don't be mistrusting, don't be suspicious, don't be paranoid of everyone, but he's saying, be careful. Be careful and be wise. Now, Paul's likely echoing Christ's words when he said, be wise as serpents and innocent as doves, wisdom Discernment and knowledge of the scriptures and prayer are all necessary here. And I pray that God would grant us this kind of wisdom. To hear teaching not as individuals, but in the context of community and to process with wisdom. So that's really important for me to say, and I think we pulled that right from the text. Paul's saying, your reputation is one that you believe everything. Good, 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 good. Receive the word humbly. 
Don't be suspicious and mistrusting. But Paul says, be careful, okay? Loved ones, I don't want our church to be walking around like this. Every time someone comes up to preach, you're, you're walking around, like, let's see what this guy has to say. Mm, mm. Let's see what Jason has to say today. He might have some false things. I want to be careful. He might have some false things that he's going to say today. I'm going to be careful. No, that's not the kind of church we want to be. We want to have a reputation of humbly receiving the word and rejoicing over the word. But listen, with every hand holding a Bible, that's my dream for this church, every hand holding a Bible. All right, you want to hold fake Bibles? That's fine too. You want to hold your, your screens? That's fine too. You know, I remember when we were in the theater and I used to see everyone's faces lit up with the screens in the theater. You say, wow, the Lord really is showing up today. <laughs> Just have your eyes on a copy of the word of God. All right, final words. There's a warning in the text. We've gone through that. False teachers are dangerous. Secondly, I want you to see that there's a promise. Here's a promise. And it's this, the God of peace is victorious, okay? Some of this stuff can discourage us, but I want you to notice what Paul says. Notice verse 20. He says, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. This is a powerful and profound way for Paul to begin to land the plane of his letter, so to speak. There's something very encouraging for us about this. After his most elaborate treatment of the gospel in chapters 1 to 11, after some very practical and personal exhortations from chapter 12 until now, recognizing that some in the church may be discouraged by the steady and constant struggle in the Christian life, relating to one another in the church can be hard sometimes, discerning the will of God with wisdom can be difficult sometimes, adding to this the rise and potential rise of false teachers, Paul adds, and by the way, don't ever forget that the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet in other words you Christians are not defeated false teachers may rise up or attempt to rise up within you you're going to watch out but you are not defeated the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet disagreements and disunity may have threatened you church at Rome and discouraged you but, but listen you are not defeated the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet Relating to unjust governments as he treats in Romans 13 or relating to one another when we disagree, Romans 14, or loving your en enemies when they revile you, that's back in Romans 12. It's all very hard sometimes, but, but remember, you are not defeated. No, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Our God is victorious. We are victorious in Jesus Christ. Now, this is likely an allusion to Genesis 3.15, the promise that God gave way back at the beginning. Because of sin, life in this world would be hard. It would never be the same. It would be painful. It would consist of devastation and sorrow. But remember that while the enemy may bruise his heel, Jesus Christ himself will crush his head. If you find yourself discouraged today, I have many days where I find myself discouraged. You know what? Let's encourage each other. Put up your hand if you find yourself discouraged some days. Let's be honest, right? Yeah. I find myself so discouraged some days. Sometimes I look around and say, man, it just looks like the enemy is prevailing. Just looks like Satan is gaining ground. Sometimes I look and say, Lord, Lord, I believe you're building your church. The gates of hell will not prevail, but it looks like it's prevailing. 
Remember, the God of peace will soon crush Satan. And the gates of hell will not prevail against the church that Jesus Christ is building. Never. So here's the truth that Christians need to hold on to and believe again and again with great faith. It said, in this world we will have trouble, but Christ has overcome the world. That's what he says. Through the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, our victory is secure. Our enemy is defeated. Our future is sure. And so whether you're bombarded by false teachers or whether you're burdened by the events and state of the world or whether you're broken because of the loss of a loved one or whether you've been betrayed by the one closest to you, remember, we have hope supremely because we serve a victorious Christ and this Christ lives in us. He is the God of peace and he will soon crush Satan. I love this. He will soon crush Satan under our feet. So there's a promise of victory and deliverance. Finally, not only is there a warning, false teachers are dangerous, a promise the God of peace is victorious. Finally and quickly, there's a prayer. There's a prayer. The grace of Jesus be with us. The grace of Jesus be with us. I'm not going to be very long on this because I want us to practically respond. And I want to end this morning praying this over us and maybe even all of us praying this over one another. This is really all that we need today, loved ones. We need the grace, the help, the aid, the support of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we thank God that he has promised all of this. He said that he would never leave us or forsake us. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. This is a prayer. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. The help, the undeserved favor, the spiritual support of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you and be with this church. The final few verses include a few more important greetings. I want to make mention of it briefly. Paul acknowledges, for example, Timothy, his closest companion. Paul really needed Timothy. We really need each other, don't we? Paul acknowledged Jason in the end, the one who showed hospitality to help when Paul needed it the most. Paul really needed Jason. But the phrase that continually came to my mind as I sought to end this message when I considered these final verses is this. Here's the phrase. Needing Christ together. Needing Christ together. Together, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. And as he lists out his final greetings, he acknowledges some people that he really valued in his life, some people that he really needed close to him. And then he says, the grace of Jesus Christ be with you. It's, it's like we all need each other, but we all need Christ together. And that's our prayer, that the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ would be with Uh, So, loved ones, I want us to do something maybe a little different, hopefully not too different. Hopefully you're familiar with a lot of prayer in this church. I want us to stand together right now. I want the worship team to come. And I want us to acknowledge, even as we see those final 
greetings, that there are people, even as we saw last week, that we would greet and we would understand to be partners in our lives and in our Christian lives and our ministries. And we would repudiate any sense of individualism, but that we would understand how much we need each other. But we would not stop there. We would recognize that what we need most together is that the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with us. As a leader, do you know what I need most? I need the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ to be with me. As members of this church, you know what we need most? We need the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ to be with us. We don't need a very clever preacher here today. We need the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't need musicians who can play every instrument and do everything. We need the Lord Jesus Christ, his grace to be with us. It's a powerful prayer. It's a prayer that I want you to join me in praying today. Simply this, Lord, would we never devalue our relationships in this church and how much we need each other, but would we never, ever divorce that from our collective need for you? And if you want to bow your head right now or you want to lift your hands or you want to lift your head or open your eyes or even kneel where you are, it doesn't really matter. Just some way of responding to the Lord. Would you seek God with me that our church would be marked by, you want to know what we want to be marked by? God is with us. God is with us. Our leaders are not perfect, but it's okay. God is with us. We don't have all the programs in place that even things we want to do, we can't even do yet. That's okay. God is with us. And so we want to pray for that right now. And I just believe that there's so much power available right here in this moment as we acknowledge together let this be the mark, O oh Lord. Let it be the mark that the grace of Jesus Christ be with us. And he is. He is. He said, I will never leave you or forsake you. More, Lord, more. More evidence of your working among us. Come on, just pray with me in your heart. More evidence of your work among us. Lord, bring us and our hearts to a posture of obedience that the Holy Spirit may fill us, that we would not be a people that grieve the Holy Spirit, but a people that are filled with the Holy Spirit. And as a result of being a people that are filled with the Holy Spirit, it is very evident that the Spirit of God works among us, dare I say, to even bring revival. That's what revival is. It's not waiting for God to magically pour out something from above. It's allowing through our obedience, God to fill us with his presence that is already within. That as we obey and as we trust and as we worship and as we love, he fills us and he masters us and he moves within us and outside of us towards people around us. That's revival. So maybe you want to take a moment right now, Lord Jesus, be with our church. Let your grace be upon our church. Maybe right now you want to pray for 
the leaders of our church. The Apostle Paul often asked for prayer. I'm asking for prayer right now on behalf of the elders and the deacons and the staff and the small group leaders. Would you pray right now for the leaders of our church? Everywhere, wherever you are in this room right now, pray, Lord, be with the leaders of our church. Fill them. Strengthen them. I'm going to pray right now for the ministry of our church. In different ways, we touch many different lives in our church and beyond into the city. Oh, Lord, with the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, be with us. I think about our outreach efforts and the dreams that we have of being a place of hope for the city. Would you pray right now, oh, Lord, with the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, be with us in this church, that we would be a place of hope for the city, that we would bring light into dark, dark places. Would you pray for the encouragement of the people of this church? The grace of the Lord Jesus be with the people of this church. Let it be so, Lord. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with us. We need you. We need you, Lord. And so we call on you. Maybe you're here right now and you're going through a really hard time and we're about to sing a song that's gonna help us to express this sentiment, Lord, that we believe that even if we are in the valley of the shadow of death, we will not fear because we trust now as a result of our praying today and the work of God among us that the grace of the Lord Jesus will be with us. You'll help us. You'll strengthen us. And the God of peace will soon crush Satan under our feet. Lord Jesus, I pray now as we sing, fill us with faith, fill us with your spirit, fill us with peace, fill us with trust in you, fill us with confidence in your word, fill us with greater discipline and desire to put our lives in the pages of this book, fill us with greater discipline and desire to put up our hands and say, I will stand for Christ, I will serve Jesus, I will be a man or woman of prayer, I will stand, my life will count for Christ with his help, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you, let it be so, Lord. And even when we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we will be a church that does not fear, but stands firm in the midst of a capitulating culture. We will stand on truth. Amen, church? Let it be so, Lord. Let it be so. Lead us now as we sing. In Jesus' name we pray. If you agree, say amen. Amen. For more resources and information about Hope Church Toronto West, please visit hopechurchtw.ca.